Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us. Just like that, our number two of the program Just is like here. That. That's right. Uh, we've got Monday Night Football tonight. Eagles back at it. They, uh, I think it's going to be a really close game. Coming off their bye week, too, and they had the the returning playing on a Monday and then turning around, they'll head to Indy after tonight. They're in Philly. I'm expecting a close football game tonight. We'll give our picks on that later and preview the matchup. Also, we will review all of Week 10. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. Big takeaways from the SEC, LSU. They get it done against Arkansas, 13-10. to And based on results, Alabama hanging on. I guess Ole Miss, that was a good game. Um, Alabama's got their faults. They've had, they've had their issues dating back to last year where it just did not feel like the same Crimson Tide team, but they kept winning. And this year, they're living and dying on the edge of a cliff weekly. So far, they've lost two, of course, but they, they hung on and did just enough, even though the entire game felt uncomfortable offensively. That was a battle for them against Ole Miss. It was a game where you can really tell how much it means to Lane Kiffin to eventually beat Nick Saban. It's, yeah. He doesn't... He's not an overly emotional guy. There were a lot of emotions of, of emotions in that game for Lane Kiffin going up against his, his former boss. Um, it, very important game for Alabama to get back on track. There's been all this talk about, you know, is Nick Saban losing it? I think that's ridiculous. But I think some of the warranted things to talk about with Bama were, okay... Here's a team now that's not going to play in the college football playoff for the first time ever. So what is the real motivation? Because you go to Alabama, the expectation is you're going to be playing for a championship and you're at least going to be in that Final Four playoff every year. So when you lose that opportunity, what is it like? That sounds ridiculous to every other team in America for the most part, but that's reality at Bama. And I thought they played like a very motivated team. They have their faults. They don't have the weapons on the outside. They've been accustomed to having in the last few years. Bryce Young is special. There's no denying that. But Hutton, I thought a really gutsy win for Alabama on the road in that game. Well, and you know that that was the 11th fewest yards in a conference game for them since 2010. That's why I say it was just a grind, and it's felt that way for a while with the penalties and everything else going on. But Chad, the we didn't see the same aggressive mentality from Kiffin, but it did come down to fourth down. They were 0 for 3 on fourth down. They had 400 yards of total offense in this game and 0 for 2 on their final two series on fourth down. When the ball left the, the hands on that final play, I thought it was put in a perfect spot based on the camera angle. I thought he was going to catch it. Judkins is special, by the way. That's that's one big takeaway from that game. Yes, uh, twenty five for one thirty five over when the way five yard the average against Alabama. The, the the I won't I won't say dominant uh, by a team, but 
I mean, you look up the scoreboard and for it to be that close at halftime, but feel like Ole Miss was dominating the lines, you know, they were getting it done. That had to be uh, deflating going into the locker room. Jameer Gibbs was kind of odd. Uh, six carries yeah. for three yards and then didn't play something's, for yeah, two and a half quarters, right? I mean, he, he played into the second quarter and they, he, he didn't play again the whole second half. So something's definitely up. Jason McClellan was, was big for Alabama. Um, nice win for Alabama. That's one, too. You know, we talk about college football playoff hopefuls. Yep. That was another big one, along with those two big Pac-12 losses from Oregon and UCLA. UCLA losing to Arizona, by the way, was unexpected. But Ole Miss losing is one thing you needed to happen if you're one of those teams trying to get that, that last college football playoff spot. So I'm watching, so I'm watching Ole Miss-Bama. And while I'm, you know, I, want, I like Kiffin, I'm on board the lane train here. I wanted to see him get over the Saban hump. What, what do you think he wants to do after the season? Because last year, he's flirting with a whatever, whoever. Uh, we know Miami was uh, a program that he wanted to, uh, to be included in, but wasn't. Chad, do you, think, uh, do you think four months from now, Lane Kiffin is the head coach at Ole Miss? Because what he's done this year and watching that team, he can reload again. But it, but I think I think in that situation there's no like building from the ground up there anymore, right? Like there's I think he has to do this every single year, and by doing so, he's going to lose out on some coaches that are going to depart for head coaching jobs, whatever it might be, and he's going to reload, and then those guys leave a year later because they're putting up offensive numbers. They're going to get the quarterback transfers in, and those guys are going to put up numbers, but. Do you think Ole Miss is the spot for Kiffin, given the fact that NIL is playing a major role in all this, and he he did it this year, but you have to sustain that now for a program that isn't known for name, image, likeness, at least not yet? Well, they're also not known for winning. Uh, they've won under they've won under Lane Kiffin, but I mean it's the, it's one of the it's Ole Miss as the only team outside of A and M who hasn't been in that the, the conference that long. In the SEC West, who's never been to Atlanta, and you've got Kentucky and Vanderbilt from the East, who's never been. I think a big part of this is you mentioned it, but losing coordinators. DJ Durkin, he got outbid by AM. DJ Durkin leaves, his defensive coordinator from a year ago. Um, got a questionable track record as a head coach and someone over a program, but a great defensive mind and good defensive coordinator. Jeff Levy, we know how talented he is as an offensive play caller. He leaves for Oklahoma. If Lane Kiffin is getting the sense that he's going to lose other assistant coaches to programs that may spend a little bit more money than Ole Miss, then I think he's going to want to bolt. But I look around also, Hutton, and think, why? You know, you look at the outcomes right now at Ole Miss, they are playing toe-to-toe with Bama. They have two losses right now and a very tough SEC, and that's it. He's won big at Ole Miss. He doesn't have to leave to have success but if the ultimate goal is, I just want to be somewhere where everywhere feels like a lateral move, right? If someone leaves, it's because yeah. a family connection somewhere else or where they went to school or it's not going to be seen as, well, you leave Ole Miss and go to Oklahoma. That's an obvious step up. That somewhere is probably Auburn. It's a program that's won a national championship pretty recently. It's one that has played for a national championship very recently, 
and it's one where you can win and win at and the highest level. Yes. So when I played college football matchmaker, I had Auburn hiring Lane Kiffin for that reason because it makes so much sense. He knows the area. He can recruit in the South. He's going to continue to be a juggernaut with the transfer portal and reshaping his roster every year. Auburn makes a lot of sense if he wants to leave. If, if he's okay at Ole Miss, stay at Ole Miss because they're winning at a high clip. And I think Auburn makes the most sense because of that. Like, it's same division. You know you can compete. You know you can recruit against those. Out, outside of that, I, I think there is some relevance to Kiffin in the SEC, right? Like, there's, we know there's an ego factor with all of it. Again, I'm on board here. Um, I just don't know if Ole Miss is going to pony up and do that. Like they're, they're, it's kind of like, is will Ole Miss treat Kiffin the way Kentucky treats Mark Stoops? I don't think they will. And it's just a vibe. Like it's just they should. But are they going like? Are they? They're they're going to that level though. Well, if you want to, so we've seen. I mean, you can transform a program. It's hard. It doesn't happen often, but you can transform the vibe of a program and turn it into something that it hasn't been before. History is not the only indicator of future success, but it is a big indicator of future success. Example, Baylor. Art Bryles transformed Baylor from a national laughingstock of a program that was the Vanderbilt of the Southwest Conference and later the Big 12 into a national contender every year with that offense. Now they had scandal, they had a huge issue there, and they had to blow things up. And guess what happened? They hired Matt Rule, and he kept the thing rolling. Yeah. And they wanted a high clip. Dave Aranda has continued to win at Baylor. They have not slowed down at Baylor to any great extent. So that program has transformed. If you're Ole Miss, are you looking around and saying, we are successful right now only because Lane Kiffin? Or has Lane Kiffin gotten Ole Miss to a level with Hugh Freeze and his success factored in also, and he had great success at Ole Miss also, is this now a program that can afford to lose Lane Kiffin and let's go hire the next young coach and we can keep things successful at Ole Miss? Maybe it is. Maybe they've arrived at that point. I'm not so sure. But if you're going to invest heavily in a coach, I don't know what all is going on in the background, don't know if he's been a malcontent, don't know if he's truly happy there, but he's won there. If you're going to invest in a coach, why not Lane Kiffin? If you're Ole Miss, similar to the way Kentucky has, like you said, with, with Mark Stoops. But the difference, I think that's a great comparison. Well, ba- yeah, the, from the university standpoint, the individuals, though, are vastly different. Uh, Mark Stoops, not, he, he's not flirting with other jobs on an annual basis, right? He's not commenting on the Auburn opening. Um, and that's Lane Kiffin's personality. I, I know. It's hard to know, know what's real and what isn't with him. But you don't Even wanna... when we talk about we don't know if he's totally happy at Ole Miss, well, how much of that is just him trolling? I don't know. I, I get a sense it's real. Oh, I think we know he, he wanted the Miami That he wants to look game. around. Yes. That fits him. Right. Um, is there always going to be the, the Miami job every year that he – like? Is there a, are there other jobs where he's the Lincoln Riley for Ole Miss that bolts randomly – for an opening where, I mean, he gets mentioned everywhere, but that's, my, that's kind of my point here. Like, um, we could mention Stoops at Nebraska, and it makes a ton of sense, but there's also a hesitation that Stoops would even leave Kentucky. Like, if, if, there, if a job makes sense for Kiffin, there's no hesitation no matter where he is, unless it's USC. Um, 
Chad, there's no, no hesitation that he would leave for that job, if it makes sense. Because I think it's just, you know, he, he hops around a bit, and I think he gets antsy and not bored, but I guess kind of. You know, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm I intrigued. Gets- this this offseason is going to tell us a lot. The next two months will tell us a lot about him because as more and more jobs open up, and especially Auburn, but there, there is a trickle-down effect here. We will, do we hear his name a lot or no? And if we don't, I think that's a great sign for the Rebels program that can reload again and win at another high clip. I think part of it is he does get bored. Uh, he is a single guy now. I don't think he has a lot tying him to Oxford if he wanted to bolt and go somewhere else. And he's calmed down some in that regard. And yeah, and, and I'm not saying that from a you know playboy mentality, just that he's got no real roots there right, where yeah, he has to right, stay for kids right. schooling or whatever it may be. He does have kids, but they're back and forth, I know. Um, maybe he's just ready for not even the next challenge, just what level can I rise to elsewhere? It, it's, right. it's not... And, and Here's the, the best way I can say it, Hutton. With Lane Kiffin, I feel like it's not him being a malcontent. It's wanderlust. It's always looking at, is it going to be better on the other side? Well, is there another program where I can win the ultimate prize if I feel like I'm not doing that here? But also, like, keep in mind, there, there is a, even at the top programs, like if, even if you're Auburn, I, like, if you're new AD coming in, you're trying to establish like, your path to prominence again. In the back of my mind, I would have to be thinking, and I know ADs and donors, boosters don't think like this because they do it on an annual basis. They pay millions for guys to fail. But I would be thinking like, okay, three years from now, am I doing the search again? And it has nothing to do with failure? The answer with him is probably yes. So, and even if you don't believe there's a college program, if he's that good, the NFL is going to call on him again. And he'll go, like, there's always the question mark, and that's my only hesitation with it. And I understand the hesitation. And I also understand the the intrigue and the shine, right? The, The glimmer of hope that here comes some some recognition along with wins and some energy. A boost. And he'll bring you that. Uh, that's why, it just depends on the problem. Does Auburn need that, or do they need a guy that's coming in to be Gus Malzahn again? Because Gus Malzahn also wanted a very high clip. I think they need both. I really think this is a time where they need a little bit of both. They, they need that shine, and they need someone who is a program builder who's an adult, who's going to come in and, and yeah. run things the way they need it run. Now, I think Lane Kiffin could be that guy. I mean, take the social media persona aside. He he can run no, a but program. That fits. I mean, it, that he's works. shown it. I think it. Yeah. I think it's the perfect fit for Auburn right now. Kentucky's an interesting case study. They lose to Vanderbilt this weekend, and suddenly all that talk about being second best in the East and a better program than Tennessee and all these things has been washed away. And it's a weird spot for Mark Stoops, who got fiery about the basketball coach calling them a basketball school before the season. And Kentucky has fallen on their face this year with a possible first-round NFL quarterback. So, And the offense is bad. Um, does this lead to Mark Stoops being more likely to stay at Kentucky because he's not going to have the same level of opportunity hmm. because of this season and it's almost a good thing for Kentucky fans that you don't have to worry about it? Or does this ultimately lead to Mark Stoops saying, this is a basketball school? It is what it is. I'm never going to win a title. I'm never going to win an SEC East championship here. I'm never going to play in Atlanta. I don't think his... So it's time to move on somewhere else. It's hard to think that one 
four month stretch would would change his sentiment on the basketball. It, he knows it's a basketball school, right? But I think he was gaining more traction than what people internally were giving him credit for. And whenever he started taking some money away, and he got the shiny new, what was it, twenty five million dollar practice facility, they, the tide was turning a bit, and not all the way. I mean, it's still a basketball school, but it was it was intriguing to see where he had. He had gained enough momentum to where he could say that, right, and challenge the great John Calipari. And now you look at the scoreboard, you see Clark Lee and everyone, uh, you know, emotional after their first SEC's win. We're going to get into this because there's a big question to ponder here for me, uh, and we'll we'll do this. Well, up- what's what's your goal? Just ending this with Mark Stoops quickly. What's your ultimate goal as a coach? Is it stability? Is it a lifetime contract? Is it money? Is it not having to look over your shoulder, or is it? availability of a championship. It's different Because now. even with Nebraska's problems, I believe the opportunity to play for a championship is much greater in the Big Ten at Nebraska than Kentucky and the SEC. It, it, depend, it, it, it depends on, are you factoring in USC, UCLA, no divisions? Um, I mean, we have a 12-team playoff here. I mean, last year, they're in. Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, so I think he knows. And Kentucky's a better recruiting area coming than up, Nebraska. I think moving forward, I think he knows if he can get back to that, that he can play for a title, you know, uh, in a 12 team playoff. I, I, man, it's, it's six here, half dozen the other for me, Chad, on that. I, I would stay at Kentucky if I'm him because he's got, he, he already has the support of a, of a, uh, of the athletic program that's going to step up and pony up and pay him when there is success. Yeah, any it's, threat, it's not about any threat of him leaving. There's no question about his stability there and his contract and everything else. The question I would have to ask if I'm Mark Stoops is 10 wins and an outback bowl, the ceiling at Kentucky. If that's uh, the case and I want to win a national championship before I'm done coaching, then you leave. You leave for Auburn. You leave for Nebraska. You leave for somewhere else where that can happen. Yeah, and he's, he's if, a good if, name if to your answer for, is for yes, and your answer it. may be no, we could have won an we could win a, an SEC yeah. title here. We're going to do it. Then you stay. Yeah, it's, I, I it's, think that's really it's that simple. Yes, um, and you could say the same about Ole Miss, right? Like ceiling, the perfect mirror of East and West with Kentucky and Ole Miss and their situations. I agree. Coming up though, who has lost the shine the most this season? just as a football fan, Kentucky or Arkansas? Because I think there are also comparisons to be made there on preseason expectation versus results, even when the quarterback's healthy and playing. Uh, we'll, we'll chime in there. We'll discuss that. That's in hour number three. When we come back, back to the NFL. Week 10 reaction. We will go from Vegas to Lambeau, uh, here in Nashville, uh, what the Dolphins are doing, and the Vikings-Bills, and how that has really sent the AFC East and the AFC playoffs right now in complete turmoil based on the way it looked a week ago as we sat here. That's all coming up on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Vikings are now 8-1, and one, and their games, Chad, as we uh, welcome you back to Outkick 360, Vikings beating the Bills. Here are the final scores of their eight wins. 23-7. Um, that was the Green Bay game. And here are the other seven. 28 24-16, 34-26, 27-33-30. Seven one-possession wins for the Minnesota Vikings. At some point, um, there's only a handful of teams that I think are given the elite status. At some point, you've got to put them for this year in that conversation, and I think they earned it yesterday based on the way they came back and won that game down 17 in the third. They absolutely earned it. I mean, they're an elite team in the NFL this year. I don't think there's any denying that. They're 8-1, and one, and now coming up for them, they get the Cowboys – at home, the Patriots at home, the Jets at home. So three straight games in Minneapolis. Then they go to Detroit. They've got the Colts at home, the Giants at home, and then they finish out the season in Green Bay and in Chicago. It's a pretty favorable schedule the rest of the way for an 8-1 and team. It looks a lot like Philly, but Philly's got to go through their division. Minnesota, meanwhile. Which is tougher. They get Detroit and Chicago a part of it, too. Um, yeah, and, and Philly's path is is definitely tougher but i mean you've got uh, yesterday dallas fall it they're up you and i finished our postgame show was it 28 14 i think it was 28 14 dallas when we wrapped up yep and to know that that game by the time i got home it was 28 all yeah when I, I look back down i end up at the tv station where i'm watching the i mean you're looking at the overtime finish going hang, hang on what just happened here because rogers completed only 14 passes and the downfield passing attack was back for Green Bay. Just like that. And they, they, they made a concerted effort to run the football, something they had not done well, and, or, or consistently well, I should say. They did it well in the first half, and that's why the game was tied 14-14. And then Dallas stormed out. Um, Dak wasn't turning it over. They had the touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz, and all of a sudden, it's a two-possession lead. And then LaFleur got emotional post-game. Because his team rallied and won the game when I think, and I think behind the podium, he's thinking to himself, that's a moment where we could have cradled. Knowing we've lost five straight, we've got Dallas here, we were tied 14 all, we can't run the football now. Uh, Rodgers only attempted six passes in the first half. He was four for six. Game's tied. I mean, the game plan was to not use the receivers, but then the game plan became that with Watson and, and others that they got involved, I, I think there was a wake-up wake moment, a last-stand moment for the Green Bay Packers yesterday that they pulled off in overtime that, you know, I think they have Tennessee and then Dallas, or not Dallas, um, Philly coming up. 
And if it's not Philly, it's another good team. Yeah, they've got uh, – you're right. They have Titans Thursday night at Lambeau. Then they go to Philly, okay. to Chicago, Rams, who are terrible now that's at why, home. That's why yesterday was the last stand. To Miami, Vikings, Lions at home and to, to know close out the season. The way they went about winning that game, I think, will can carry over with some momentum now. Yes, absolutely. I, and look at look at Aaron Rodgers' joy I know. on the Alan Lazard throw where, where he's this skipping been? up and down because they've sucked. It's hard to find joy when your no, offense no, no, no. can't move the ball. Where, but where I mean the op, they're not throwing it that much yesterday. But they, you've got the rookie. You got Watson stepping. Up. He's been on the bench sideline. I know, and they've got other guys who are banged up. And this is a banged up roster. But man, it they beat a very good team in Dallas. They beat a very good defense. The defense has some holes now where they didn't three weeks ago. They do now with their run defense. They were shredded yesterday by the rushing attack. And that's now two games in a row we've seen that Dallas defense shredded. Point being... Dak Prescott with uh, two too many interceptions in the game also uh, was a big part of it. The fourth going for it on fourth well, down in overtime, I get the, well, the attempt. That's, that backfired. Mike McCarthy throwing his headset after not getting that fourth down, pretty much knowing that probably the Packers are going to go down and win it after you don't pick up that fourth down conversion, and that's what they did. Yeah, the, the Packers rushed 18 times for 93 yards in the first half, and you're up two touchdowns in the second half, fourth and three, and you decide to go for it instead of kick that field goal and extend the lead. What would have been 13 points that they would have extended it to at that time? Yep. Um yeah, that, that's, a, that's a backbreaker for McCarthy. McCarthy had been on the path, seriously, of coach of the year. Um, he was another one that was just kind of floating underneath the surface. because It's of, also his return to Lambeau. His return to Lambeau, So yeah. there's a lot of factors there why he would be throwing his, his headset upset in that moment. And you gave life to another NFC team. You could have killed the Packers. That was the, the death yeah. knell. Losing at home to the Cowboys. Instead, they get a big upset win. At home, in overtime, you inspired some life in that offense. Christian Watson, Lazard, Aaron Rodgers skipping like a schoolboy down the field. They go down and kick the field goal to win it. Packers are very much alive now at four and six. I think so. uh, It's not not an impossible schedule ahead. They're not, but I'm still betting on them not to make the playoffs. Okay, yeah, I'm glad. But but my point is, you gave them a little bit of life. They, they're you could have killed them, and instead they're barely breathing. Yeah, the key is they're not dead. Barely breathing, and, and that that the last stand aspect of it was comatose, but but not dead. They they literally dumbed it down. Intensive care. Aaron Rodgers, Chad, was four of six for seventy three yards passing in the first half, and fifty eight of the seventy three came on the touchdown pass to Christian Watson. I mean, the game plan was to not use Aaron Rodgers. That's crazy, and it worked. Well, it, it, ultimately, it worked. It worked. They were tied at fourteen, and then the game got out of hand. Like it was a two touchdown spread they separated the score Dallas did and you can't just run the football with that same mindset and tone and so they started throwing it around a bit and pro- I mean he completed 14 passes against that defense 222 24 yards 224 and three touchdown passes for Aaron Rodgers on 14 completions against the Dallas defense that's hard to score against and when they do allow points normally the offense is keeping up with you. And they did yesterday. They, the offense put up points too, but the, the run defense for, for Dallas is something to keep an eye on. Ultimately, I, don't think, I think there are a lot of people that are going to 
uh, harp on Dallas and how they lost this game. That's fine. They still have a tremendous talent in CeeDee Lamb. His, his performance yesterday was unbelievable. Um, you've got Pollard in the backfield now. Who's the number one back? Zico Elliott coming off a of bye week. We didn't know if he was going to play. He didn't play. Tony Pollard continues to play. They've got Dalton Schultz. Prescott is, is capable of taking over a game. We saw that prior to the bye. Chad, I'm not... And on top of that, they probably have pound for pound the best football player in the NFL and Micah Parsons on the other side. There's, I think there's going to be some bandwagon jumpers that should not do that this week on Dallas. That's my only point. I think both sides I of that equation they, are true. There's going to be some bandwagon jumpers that should not jump off of Dallas. There's going to be some bandwagon jumpers on well, that should not be jumping on the Packers just yet. I don't know if that's happening. Even though It will happen Thursday night. That will happen Thursday night. Short week. They just saw them beat Dallas, and now they're hosting not just the division leader in the Titans, but the, the number one seed in the AFC from a year ago. I think those Packers fans are going to be happy after they, Thursday night. Maybe so. But I, that's where I think you'll have the national sentiment that Rodgers is back. I know we talked a lot of Colts Raiders uh, earlier in the first segment of the show with Jeff Saturday getting that yeah. win. Crazy stat about, and we saw it, Hutton. We're hosting the, the postgame show here locally in Nashville. And we see that long run from Matt Ryan. This was Matt Ryan's 240th regular or postseason game. That's of his NFL career. He had never rushed for 39 yards in a single game, and he rushed for 39 yards on that one scramble against the Raiders late in the game. I looked up in shock because I saw Matt Ryan running down the sideline and then avoiding a tackle at the end. It looked like he was going to step out of bounds, and I'm thinking, this has never happened before. <laughs> and in fact, I was right. Hadn't even happened in a game over the course of an entire game. Happened in one scramble on Sunday. Cardinals beat the Rams. That? Josh McDaniels oh, led Raiders team. I, oh, uh, so did you see the fake tweet from some dude at CBS or some fake CBS account last So night? are you having a problem with the new Twitter with the people that are paying for verification? No, this wasn't that. This guy them? wasn't I, verified. I've, I've not had a problem with it yet. Uh, there's, uh, I have no issue with that. The guy had like 50 followers. Yeah, you have to go look at how many followers if it's something crazy. But he wasn't verified. Um, it was just something that people were circulating last night. And it happened about 30 minutes after the loss for the Raiders. Not, but it also makes sense. Like that would be a loss where you're like, okay, if you're going to pull the plug, I guess now's the time. But it also didn't make sense because I mean, you, you had the, the interim tag on Rich Passaccia last year and you actually turned things around and it really didn't matter. You didn't pay attention to it then. Um, and they've got problems. The Derek Carr interview for those who haven't uh, the press conference availability. Um, and maybe Colin can find some of this, but this, you can hear, like, he's he's not totally blameless. Carr. They played it on Don't At Me, by the way, so it may be in that file. Yeah. It, I act like I know where the files are located. Check, check uh, the Don't At Me file. I'm sure it's in there. He's Colin. not totally blameless, but some of the situations he's in the middle of are just crazy to me. With Oakland and then now Vegas, where... Um, he's standing there. You can tell it matters to him. And that's what's so endearing about Derek Carr to me is he's got the arm talent. And, man, he's got the he's got the mentality of a dude that you want leading your team. I just don't think behind the scenes guys gravitate to him. I think it's very similar. Um, maybe you'll disagree, Chad. I think it's similar to a Trevor Lawrence. I don't think Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville... Um, has that same type of rapport 
that Herbert would in 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 Los Angeles or um, you know Burrow's a bad example because Burrow's lapping a lot of quarterbacks right now. Jalen Hurts in Philly. Um, go around the young quarterbacks here. I don't get that same vibe from from Lawrence, and I don't I don't get that vibe from Carr because he's had several chances to do it. And you pointed out to me, I didn't see this. You pointed out to me last week the the back and forth with him and even Devontae Adams on the sideline. Yeah, and it's uh, Derek Carr is an easy guy to like. Uh, yes. I, I think you're right. I mean, he shows that desire, the the him getting emotional in the press conference. You feel it with him. He's clearly a guy who feels the losses more than maybe some other pro athletes, and he's talking about that when he talks about his disdain for those that don't care at the same level as him and some other players in that locker room. Um, I think part of that emotion, too, is just the fact that he's not a dumb guy and he's realizing he just can't get it done. I mean, he's not going to get it done. He says, I'm not having much success in my career for whatever reason. And I think it's him looking in the mirror as well. Not that he's been a bad quarterback, but it's got to be devastating when you fully realize, man, it may be me as part of this. As much as I care and as hard as I work, maybe I'm also part of the problem. I don't, but I don't think he looks in the reflection. He doesn't see a reflection that shows him he's the problem. I think he, when he's standing in the mirror and he's in front of his entire team, I don't think he sees in the reflection the same vibe and tone that he's trying to bring. And maybe that, I, I don't think he comes across fake. I, 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 there's a, like, there's not a Russell Wilson feel to him. That's not what I'm trying to say. No, it's very but genuine. Yes, but we've kind of heard this before from Derek Carr, where, you know, it's a, it's a well, maybe this isn't, this isn't for everybody in the locker room, but this is for me, and we're going to get this right. Um, we've got, uh, is it two, clip, two clips or one? One, okay. Here's Derek Carr at the podium uh, yesterday after the loss to Jeff Saturday, and the Indianapolis Colts. Um, you know, I can't speak for everybody. I know where I stand, and I love the silver and black. I'm going to give it everything I can every time I go out there. And um, I can't speak for everybody, um, you know, for every man, um, what's going on in their head. But I can tell you what's going on in my head, and I'm going to give it all that I can every single time. <sighs> and he's pausing here. He's about to be interrupted. Derek, I'm going to ask this with the utmost respect. Last year, with what you did with this team, with everything you guys went through, you endured and got to the playoffs. This year, it just seems there's frustration at times, obviously, after these losses. Is there, in any way, a disconnect with what you're trying to do and this new staff as far as the system? You know, I don't think so. I love, I love Josh. I love the car. I love our coaches. Um, they've had nothing but success, you know, way more success than I've ever had, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Derek, um, you know, I'm, sorry. to finish that. Keep this going. Sorry for being emotional. I'm just pissed off. About some of the things, you know, that a lot of us try and do just to practice. What we put our bodies through just to sleep at night. 
And for that to be the result of all that effort pisses me off. Pisses a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what <clears throat> some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice what they're putting in their body just to sleep at night. Like just so we can be there for each other. And I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. And as a leader, that pisses me off, if I'm being honest. There's Derek Carr, uh, emotional after the loss to the Colts. And th this is a Raiders team, 7-2 and two in one-score games last season. Last season, Derek Carr went to the postseason for the first time in his career. This season, in one-score games, they're 0-6. That is the difference between the two. And he's already gone through the flux of the Gruden change with the interim and trying to win close, tight games. And now he's got the, the, the coordinator of the last decade, Josh McDaniels, coaching him. And they're losing to the analyst of last week, Jeff Saturday. So a couple big takeaways from that audio clip. One... Uh, bad move by the reporter that interrupts him mid-cry and doesn't let him finish his thought. And he had to say, sorry, let me, let me finish with that initial thought. Well, if, he was clearly he going to keep... two different things. He, he kind of paused and just looked up. Yeah. And he, was, he was just wasn't saying anything. And that's where I, the guy chimed in. I disagree. In. I, I, I thought it was pretty clear he was gathering himself for a second before continuing to talk more. Uh, so the reporter interrupting him, bad move by the reporter. Second, this was in spirit the opposite of the Allen Iverson practice rant uh, when he talks about what guys do to get to practice physically, what they yeah. put in their body, how they have to go to sleep at night just to show up at practice. Uh, I thought this was, if, if there was a spirit animal, this would be the opposite spirit animal of Allen Iverson with his, with his uh, emotional rant. So what, where's the disconnect, though? That's what's really difficult for me to figure out with him because he's had all of the time. I mean, the guy is uber talented and he's had great players around him offensively. Um, he's got a run game this year and, and he had it last year. Josh Jacobs, uh, contract year, I'm all for it. Give that guy the football. They were giving it to him yesterday. And I just don't understand how it doesn't work out more in his favor given the fact that he's like that and he's extremely genuine, very good human being too. Chad, I, I mean, I, I root for the guy. I want him to be successful. I just don't want to think, you know, oh, everybody needs to jump on board when there have been so many opportunities to do that. And I don't think he's fake. Maybe I'm completely missing the boat. But that, He's not fake. I just don't understand it, man. He needs to change the scenery, I guess, because uh, he's gone through a lot there. And there is nothing to show for it. Sometimes he's an afterthought. Sometimes sports just don't make sense. There, are th there are things that we talk about that I love to logically order and say, "Oh, this result happened because this, this, and this happened." And this is exactly why this went down this way with this team: bad leadership, bad play calling, bad quarterback play, bad whatever. And say you do that and you get beat, and it's all very logical. The career of Derek Carr at times has not been very logical. And it's a good reminder that sports, like life, many times can be completely illogical. And I think that's the career of, of Derek Carr in, in many ways. Not that he hasn't earned some of that lack of success with his play on the field, 
Right. But when you hear that emotional response and you watch his ability at times, it doesn't all add up to the career that he's had. And that's unfortunate. And that's, that's the way it goes at times. That's, I mean, to me, that's the easiest way to sum up the career of Derek Carr. Tough so, luck. So far. Like, can, can he get out of there? I don't, I don't know. Well, I do. I mean, he could, he could demand it, but I don't know if he's got that in him. Can Maybe Trevor that's Lawrence part of the problem. get out of Jacksonville? Is it Jacksonville that's infecting Man. Trevor Lawrence? Or is it Trevor Lawrence that's infecting Jacksonville? It's a little bit of both. This will be the million-dollar question moving forward for that there franchise. There signs of life yesterday by, by him, but it too little too late. Came in another L. Against Kansas City. Um, yeah, it, this is... Uh, it's bad for Lawrence when you compare him. Like, he was supposed to be Andrew Luck. And when you can start comparing Peyton records Manning. and... Go, go through all the top prospects. Well, Peyton Manning, there was actually a debate with, uh, with, with uh, Leaf. Ryan Leaf. So take him aside. But yeah, Andrew Luck, look at other number one overall picks that there was no debate about them. That was Trevor Lawrence. Well, and Chad, he's, his numbers, first 27 games of their careers, Andrew Luck, 18 and 9. Trevor Lawrence, 6 and 21. And they just recently got their first road win. Um, but they're, they're facing Kansas City. I get it. The game started with an onside kick. And from there, you're supposed to go score, right? Like, you got to have a plan in place. No fast start. They're down 14 nothing, And it just took way too long. Two-minute offense, quick trigger offense for him is much better than whatever they're doing to start games. We'll touch on that. We'll touch on Mahomes and the, the Chiefs offense. Brady in Germany. And we've got to get to the uh, Cardinals win over the Rams and what that signals and the injury concerns there with Cooper Cup. That's next and I'll kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up, we dive back into the SEC headlines. Sounds Hutton, please share the note that you just pulled from Twitter. Yeah, that's randomly absolutely um, fascinating. Jonah Hill holds the record for most curse words said by an actor on screen in film history. The research that it would take to find this I mean, and compare it to every actor in the history of cinema to find it would be incredible. So then, yes, I put the I emphasis think this on is in I, one I know that's film. not how it's actually this is, pronounced. Oh, this that's is my uppity voice. This is the record for one film. Oh, is it super bad? Um, it doesn't have the movie. I can click through this. I no, I'll find. I'll, uh, it's three hundred seventy-six curse words. That's the record. He beat out Samuel L. Jackson, who was at three seventy. Yeah, I guess Samuel L. Jackson, who's been in a lot more things. Maybe that was a, if you're going through all movies. Maybe that was a goal of his in the movie. You got to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for something. Uh, Might as well be that. Just an ankle injury for Cooper Cup. That's good news for a Rams team that doesn't have much good news after yesterday's uh, loss to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, back, the battle of backup quarterbacks in this. And, man, uh, Colt McCoy got it done. Two out of three, by the way, on our upset picks this week. 
straight up upsets in the uh, in the NFL. Not a bad week, Hutton. Not a bad week. Cardinals and Steelers got it done for us. Cardinals win 27-17. The Rams are done. You've got Stafford, who's hurt in concussion protocol. Their offensive line's been bad all year. Cooper Cup has the ankle injury, but he doesn't appear to be uh, season ending by any account based on the reports coming out of Los Angeles. So that's good news. Um, but here's the thing about Cooper Cup that shocked me. Over the last 30 games, he's had four games out of 30 with five or fewer receptions. And all four of those games are against the Arizona Cardinals. Some of that's, you know, Patrick Peterson's playing at the time, I'm sure. Four of the 30, less than five receptions, all four are against the Cardinals. And they did it again yesterday. Three catches for minus one. That was the stat line for Cooper Cup, last year's offensive MVP. Hutton, I found uh, the info that we've been waiting for. Um, for Jonah Hill, it is over his entire filmography. He leads the way. 3,500 films scripted were, were looked at. 376 curse words. Second is Leon, this is according to Variety. Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio, 361. Most of Hill's curse words were split between two movies, Superbad and The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. DiCaprio, second. Samuel Jackson, 376 third. 376 sounds low, though, for a career. Right? Like a, the most ever is 376? It does, it does sound low. That's why the, this, this other article says a film. I don't, I don't know. I, I thought it was weird. That was not the name I would have guessed. No one's guessing that. But now our audience knows. And next Wolf time it's of in Wall trivia. Street, by the way, passed Pulp Fiction for the film with the most curse words. 715 curse words in The Wolf of Wall Street. It's my favorite film. Not because of that. <laughs> Just, I love it. Hun's going to drop a, movie, a few F-bombs when we come back. That's right. Headlines when we return and we get to college football and the SEC and Kentucky, Arkansas and more.